Here at Doxedo Hatfield, we are a family on mission. Make sure to get connected by joining us at one of our Sunday services. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Awesome, guys. Cool. So I've got the, the absolute privilege to share this morning with you the fourth message of our sermon series, Peaks and Valleys, as we reflect on the book of Psalms. So if you have something to make a note on, if it's your phone or if it's your Bible with you, you've got a book or whatever, uh, please join me this morning. So obviously this time in December is a time for rest, rejuvenation, together with family, friends, and loved ones. I hope that you had a great Christmas but speaking about Christmas, uh, as most of you may know, that my birthday is actually on Christmas. So let me answer the same old question every single time. No, I do not get two presents on Christmas. I get zero. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I usually get one big one, and I'm actually very grateful for that. And uh, I want to actually tell you a quick, quick story as we are just speaking about this festive season and just the joy and the quality time with family uh, along with the season. So what happened is my wife got me a very special gift. But this gift, what made it even more special is the fact that it was literally made for me. But thousands and thousands of people have the exact same thing, but this was specifically made for me. I promise you, before I tell you what this gift is, you need to know a few things about me to understand why I appreciated this gift so much. The first thing is, I absolutely love the outdoors. love hiking, love being out in the wild, in the nature. I absolutely love it, but I also love food. I love things that are built and designed well that will last. I love experimenting with stuff, especially food. And I love spending quality time with people. It's one of my strongest love languages. Is I love quality time. So this gift that my wife got me is the most manly man, the most outdoorsy, the most quality time-based instrument ever. And it is a Weber Braai. <laughs> now, if you don't know what that is, that's all right. Um, I'm sorry for you. But this is... One of the nicest designed brides ever. Okay, you know this. Yarn honey balls like, yes, that is absolutely the truth. The heat retention in that bride is absolutely amazing. It has a grill that will never, ever rust. It's got an enamel-coated lid with a thermometer built into it so that I can tell my wife that I'm grilling our chicken at 300 degrees Celsius and know that that is a fact. But the, the, the biggest blessing behind this gift is not that it was just a nice bribe or the fact that it is something that I really enjoy, but it's the fact that I could have never owned that bribe by buying it myself because it is way too expensive and I will never spend that amount of money on a bribe. So what my wife did, very, very sneaky, sneaky, she got a group of friends and family and people that we know and everyone contributed to this Weber. And when I got this bri, I was actually more blessed by the fact that people were so generous and so willing to pitch in for this gift. So that from now on, every single time a fire gets made on that Weber, every single time a meal gets cooked on it, I am reminded by how thankful I am 
for the generosity and the love of the people that got that for me. How special is that? Amen. <laughs> so the reason why I'm telling you this very short story about what we've got, oh, just look at that Weber. It is absolutely amazing. Do yourself a favor. It's, oh, I don't have time for this. Do yourself a favor. Go onto Weber.com, the U.S. site, the United States site, and go check the lifestyle blog that they have in the recipes. They've got like smoking recipes. You can smoke a whole turkey. They've got an app that you can download on your phone. You get an extension cord. You can plug the thermometer into the chicken and then into your phone, and you can monitor it from your phone. It's absolutely great. Johan, we'll speak more about that afterwards. Vaughn, you're more than welcome to join along. <laughs> okay. So the reason why I'm telling you guys this is because that is exactly what I see in the Psalms. The Psalms speak about this, about people, humans, raw and real humans, encountering emotions and experiences. Some of them might be the peaks, the great moments, the moments of joy and thankfulness and celebration and the moments of trust and faith and prayer. But there's also some sucky moments, some moments in, in the Psalms where it's just raw emotions being spilled out in front of God. And what I love about that book, what I love about the, the realness of that book is that God has never, ever shied away from human emotion. That is a book, a library of testament that we are encouraged to bring our emotions and experiences to God. So this morning, we're going to speak about how to celebrate, how to be thankful and celebrate God. I want you to turn to Psalm 100, and we're just going to page through it. Going to read through it. It is a very, very short psalm. It is only five verses, but within these five verses, there is something truly amazing. And I hope that it's going to bless you and challenge you and uplift you this morning, and that it'll, it'll empower you to really turn to God with all of your thanksgiving and your celebration. So let us read Psalm 100. In the CSB, it says, Let the whole earth shout triumphantly to the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. Acknowledge that He is Lord, our God. He made us. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and bless His name. For the Lord is good and His faithful love endures forever. His faithfulness through all generations. What Psalm 100 teaches us in this very, very short, just a few verses, is that the posture that we assume when we enter into God's presence is a posture of thankfulness that leads to celebration. And what I love about this is it gives us three very, very clear instructions on how we form a posture of praise. And I want to share them to you. It is these following three. It says, to live with thankfulness, we need something. We need truth to support it. For you to be really and truly thankful, you have to have an absolute truth to stand upon to say that I am thankful for this. For me and my Weber, it was not just a very nice bribe, but the fact that so many people blessed me with it. That is the absolute truth. It wasn't just my wife taking a credit card and swiping it for a gift. No, it was a blessing of people being generous the absolute truth that you have to stand upon to be thankful. The second one is to live with thankfulness and to celebrate. We need feelings to spur it on. We need feelings to spur it. And lastly, the third one is 
To live with thankfulness, we need actions to complete it. Without these three elements, without the truth and the feelings to spur it on, and for you to actually act upon it, it is impossible to be thankful. It is impossible to be thankful. So let's start with the first one. To live with thankfulness, we need truth to support it. I'm just going to read two verses from Psalm 100, and it is verse 3 and 5. And within these two verses, we find what we, what we mean by we need truth to support it. It says in verse 3, in the ESV, uh, so in most translations, you'll actually find it starts with that word, no. Uh, in the CSB, it starts with acknowledge, but this is actually the Hebrew word is to, to know with certainty. It says in verse 3, know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. In verse 5, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and His faithfulness to all generations. The reason why this is so important for us to understand is that whenever we face emotions or experiences, especially after a year like 2020, and especially in entering into a new year with so many questions and so many unanswered things and so many doubts and fears, when we enter into that season to know that what we stand upon is not our emotions governing us, but the fact that there's a higher truth and a more solid truth for you to stand upon. The only difference is whether we know it or not. This is what Psalm 103 and 5 says, to know with certainty the truth, the absolutes of number one, who God is, number two, who you are, and number three, what God does. Who He is, who you are, and what He does. That is what we need to know within the absolute truths to know with certainty. And he lists these seven things. Uh, I'm going to put it up on the screen for you. Number one, He is God, in verse three. He made us. We are His people. We are the sheep of His pasture. He is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and His faithfulness endures to all generations. Seven absolutes that are written down in these few verses. To say what? To say that the emotions and the experiences and the feelings that you face, if you are not standing firmly planted with feet in blocks of concrete, in this foundation of absolute, if you're not standing on that, you will be strong-armed by your emotions. You will be strong-armed by your emotions. For us to assume a posture that is strong enough to stand honest and raw before God and to actually bear the burden and the weight of our emotions but not to be conquered by it, we need to be standing on this absolute truth, these seven truths. And what I'm going to do is we're going to briefly just touch upon every single one of them because I, I believe that these words are written so intentionally. It's not just by chance that these words are written down. I think there's something within these words that God really wants to come and just lay before us and, and break open to us so that we can understand how we can really turn to Him with raw and honest emotion. So let's start with number one. He is God. In uh, 1 Kings 18, there's a story about the Baal prophets and Elijah and how they want to put God to the test. 
And uh, what actually happens is Elijah tells them, you can go read in, in 1 Kings 18 verse 21, he actually tells them, he says, Then Elijah approached all the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If it is Lord, if, or if, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if it is Baal, then follow him. Elijah's coming and he's saying, guys, we are split between opinions here about whose God is better and whose God is not. But let's prove this and put it to the test finally today and see whose God is actually God. You're going to read further. Uh, 450 of these Baal prophets start praying that their God will ignite a fire and nothing happens. Elijah, one guy, stands up and actually says, bring water and come and pour it over the altar that you actually create trenches around it filled with water. And he prays, and you can go read in, in 1 Kings 18, verse 83 to 40. I'll read it for you. It says, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, and the wood, and the stones, and even the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. For us to know whatever emotions or challenges or peaks and valleys or curves on a long road with dips and hills, whatever we face, for us to know to approach God, we approach a God who is who He says He is. Not a God that we hope He is, (laughs) but the God that we can know He is who He says He is. And he has proven it more than enough. The cross was more than enough proof that a God that was willing to lay down his life is a God that is willing to save mine. And that I can approach him and stand upon that, not because I hope that it is true, but because I know that it is true. Number two, God made us. I think this is so incredible to understand that for you sitting here this morning, Paula Pravani, Ariel, Sunal, to be sitting here this morning to know that God created you intentionally and with calling, to know that he's not just the being that caused you to be alive, in other words, a, a being that put in place a, a creation that can, you know, what's for plant and angels? that can make uh, more and more babies, (laughs) reproduce to multiply, to know that you're not just in in a world that a creator made something and you are a byproduct of it, but to know that God is actually the one that keeps you alive and that causes you to live. A life that is filled with purpose, a life that brings you fulfillment, and a life that He actually purposed for you. That is an absolute blessing to know that. And to know that whenever we face whatever we face, then we can turn to the one that not only made us to experience emotion or that made us to feel pain or to feel joy and excitement or pleasure, but he's actually the one that we find fulfillment in when we express those feelings to him. God made us because he finds joy in us sharing with him who we are, who he's, made, who he's made us to be. God finds joy in it. I'm sure that this is going to sound very bad now, but for the moms and dads who have kids, um, if you 
see your kid stumbling or falling and they nick themselves on the knee, obviously you don't enjoy that. But I'm definitely sure you enjoy sitting down next to them, comforting them, cleaning the wound, giving the kisses, putting on the SpongeBob Band-Aid, giving them a sweetie. Pravani, am I right? I'm sure that that is exactly what God wants us to do, to bring the peaks and the valleys and sit before him and say, God, I know that you have made me and you have made me with emotions. You've made me with feelings. You've made me with a huge capacity to feel and to manage what I experience. But I want to, even in the lowest of the lows, find fulfillment in sharing it with you. Say, God, I'm frustrated. I'm broken. I'm hurt. I'm angry. And I want to share it with you, not because I want answers from you, not because I want you to take everything away, but because I know that the, the, in the moment of sharing with you, I will find fulfillment in it. I believe that is why when the psalm was written and it said for you to assume a posture of celebration, to assume a posture of thankfulness, you need to know that God made you. He made you with all of your ups and downs and peaks and valleys. Number three, speaking about a more general group, we are his people. No, so not only did God make us, but he made us because he wanted us. The Bible says this repeatedly in many different ways. We are his people. We are his sons, his daughters, his heirs, co-workers. We are his partners. Even so that Jesus himself says, I want you to be one with the Father as I am one with the Father. Communicated repeatedly in God's word that the intention of God making us is so that we can be with him. God wants us. I think for us to know that, to know that someone wants you. Okay, I was, I'm, I'm still surprised that my wife ended up choosing me. <laughs> I'm, still, I'm still surprised by it, standing there on our wedding day. I'm like, I'm sure there's a hundred better options, but we're here now, and this is bond, so you can't, <laughs> this means life. Okay. I'm still surprised by it, and it is such a blessing to know that someone longs after you. But I know that if she goes on a breakaway or goes out with friends or goes on a, on a camp with school kids or with teens or whatever, and I don't see my wife for a few days, I know that I long after her, but I know for a fact that she also longs after me. And I think in that same way, that beautiful picture is how God longs after us. How sad would it be that when we go through things, that we choose to go through it alone? that we choose to not go and sit with God and say, God, you have from your side repeatedly established this absolute truth that you want me. How can I not want to turn to you? How can I not want to run to God with every single thing? Number four, we are the sheep of his, past, of his uh, pasture. And like you said so beautifully last week uh, when he spoke about the, the sheepies and the shepherd, so beautiful. But I just love that, that same image that just shows God's loving care and him leading us and discipling us and guiding us and protecting us and providing for us. It's just such a beautiful image. When you see sheep, 
without a shepherd, you truly know that that sheep has a very small numbered amount of days. Because that sheep will definitely run off of a cliff, stumble into traffic, get stuck in a bush somewhere. You know that for a fact. (laughs) Sheep need a shepherd. They need the guidance and the leadership and the loving, kinding care, loving kindness and care that God provides for us. And so this morning I want to read to us just very briefly the psalm that that Tyke read last week, Psalm 23, verse 1 to 5. And it says, it says, The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life, and he leads me among the right path for his name, for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's an absolute to know that the God that we approach is the God that wants to lead us and protect us and has the best in heart and in mind for us. Number five that was mentioned in Psalm 100, the fifth absolute, says God is good. God is good. Now, if I had to list scriptures about the goodness of God, we'll be here until next Christmas. I promise you that. (laughs) We will be here until Christmas 2021. But what I love about this is that it is a proven absolute without doubt that God is good and He does good things. And He has proven it for individuals, for groups, personally, publicly, privately, financially. He's done it emotionally. He's done it through His grace, His mercy, salvation, Him leading us, healing people. He's done it in so many different ways that we cannot fault the goodness of God. We cannot fault the goodness of God. Here's a few scriptures for you. Luke 18, for the Lord is good. Who is good but God alone? Psalm 119, he is good and he does good. Psalm 145, the Lord is good to all and his mercies are all over his works. Psalm 86, for you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and Abundance in loving kindness to all who call upon you. God is good. God is good. Amen. The sixth absolute. His steadfast love endures forever. Now, the Hebrew word used for steadfast love, that's actually one word, is a word that you're all going to try and pronounce with me. Chesed. So if you, don't, if you don't spit on the person next to you, you're saying it wrong. I'm joking. Please, please don't. Yeah, spit into your mouth. Chesed. Chesed is the word that was used 243 times in the Old Testament to describe a God that was bound to himself with a promise that he made that he will love his people. God has never wavered. He has never slipped. He has never taken a holiday. He's never taken a break. God's love was steadfast and will always be steadfast. And it's so interesting that, that, that the choice that God made, the Bible is very, very, very direct about this. The choice that God made to love us is a choice that he bound himself to. It was a covenant that he made with himself. 
God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit made a covenant promise to say that we will love our people. And it is that same love that we read about in Hebrews 12, verse 2, in the CSB, when it says, Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, for the joy laid before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy that was laid before him. Jesus walked up to that cross, and he carried that cross, and he was crucified to a cross with joy set before him because a promise that he made to himself that they will love us. <laughs> that is absolutely incredible. And it is exactly that that we can grab a hold onto when we encounter God with a posture raised in thankfulness to stand in front of God and celebrate the peaks and the valleys when we know that the joy that God gets from loving us, I can get the same joy for loving him. The same joy that was set before Jesus to lay down his life for me, I can get the same joy for laying down my life for him. And then lastly, the, the seventh absolute listed in Psalm 100. His faithfulness endures to all generations. This is an absolute truth, not because this is something that we've just seen happen throughout thousands and thousands of generations and years and just seeing people just popping up after every 70 years and they just follow God randomly. They just follow God and in this, this Christian faith, this Christian movement has been kept alive like a candle that you have to literally like shield from every single bit of wind and every single drop of water. You have to shield this burning candle because what if we close all the churches today and in 20 years there's no more churches and no more Christians? What then? Saying, no, no, no. His faithfulness endures and has endured all generations. Why? Because 2 Timothy 2 verse 13 says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. God chose to pour out his spirit into people. So for as long as there are people on this planet, God's spirit will be working through us. God will never take away his spirit. So we can very confidently say that for the rest of the existence of time, if there's a single human being alive, God's Spirit will be at work. And we can hold on to that. These seven absolutes is not there to downplay your emotions at all. It's there to give you a foundation to have your emotions and your feelings and your experiences and to actually have them exist in a healthy and God-filled way. I think it's the absolute blessing in this is to know that not only do we stand on the truth, but the fact that we need feelings. We need feelings to spur on thankfulness. Point number two. If you just read one verse in Psalm 100, just for, just verse four, it says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. We've said it so many times in this series that our emotions are good. Even though it is emotions that sometimes come from bad things, having emotions is good. 
And what we see in this one verse is that there is a, a very clear correlation between the Old Testament temple entering into the temple, the gates of God's presence, coming into his courts. If you were in the Old Testament, you knew for a fact that if you wanted to enter into the temple, there were different levels. You could not pass a certain room in the temple. Only one room at the back was reserved, the most holy of holies. And if you were a normal average Joe or average Mo or average Paula, you could not just walk in there. You will physically die. You will physically die. So this is very strong wordplay when it says, enter his courts and his gates with praise and give thanks to him and bless his name. If you would have told that to a Jew, enter into his courts. He would say, I'm sorry, no, I don't enter into, <laughs> don't enter into his courts. We wait outside. We wait on the step. We wait away from the curtain. We don't go in there. And we know as Christians today, we know that God has made his dwelling place in us. So you cannot even avoid God's presence. I'm not saying you should update the Bible, but if, if you would have wanted to update something, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be enter his gates with thanksgiving. It would be you are permanently in his gates. <laughs> you are permanently in his courts because you are his place of dwelling. God has chosen to be amongst his people. Can't find God in a building. Can't find him in a structure. And so what this scripture does for us today, if we read this, is we see clearly that we have accessibility and absolute freedom to approach God with everything that we are and everything that we have. And the feelings that we feel, the emotions that we have, is a good thing. It's a God thing. It's supposed to spur on thanksgiving. It's supposed to spur on thankfulness. And I want to end lastly with number three, the last point. To live thankfulness, we need actions to complete it. We need actions to complete it. Psalm 100, verse 1 and 2, it's the final two verses that we haven't touched on this morning. But I've shuffled them around to end off with verse 1 and 2. Let the whole earth shout triumphantly to the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness and come before him with joyful songs. There are three commandments in those two verses. Shout triumphantly or make a joyful noise. Taiki is going to explain what that looks like. He's going to make no joking. He'll make the noise. Number two, serve the Lord. And number three, come before him. Now, I don't know about, about any of you guys, but when I read that, the first thing that popped into my head was kids. Was kids. Because there's only one way that I can explain what those three words mean if I literally have to think about how we actually act on it. So just throw up that slide. The first one, I don't know if you've ever heard kids playing, but they shout for no reason at all. Am I right? People with kids? Huh? Anyone? It is almost like it is a default expression for a kid to just shout. Here's a fizzer. Ah! <laughs> I just shout. Why? Because I cannot do anything else but express what I'm feeling by literally shouting. I will be doing myself ill. I'll do myself in if I don't shout. I will, I will 
I will be treating myself unfairly if I try and contain and shove down what I'm feeling in the inside. God wants us to literally shout and make a joyful noise. Number two commandment to serve the Lord. Now, I love just looking at kids when they try and do everyday normal tasks, but they just don't have the strength for it. Little Ben walks out of this church every single week with my guitar in one hand or a stand in the other, and it is like this absolute burden to carry out this piece of musical equipment and gear, but I want to do it because I want to serve you with everything that I am, even though I know if we had to put it down on paper, I would not qualify for the job. I would be much further along asking Kian to take a few stands than I would with Ben. But that, 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 that does not disqualify him. In fact, that is what enables him to say, I know that I don't have all the strength, but I want to do it. I want to help. I want to join hands with you. And number three, the commandment that I see to come before him, always in the line of sight. I love this when kids, no matter what they are doing, and you'll especially see this when they get hurt, as if you don't look at them when they get hurt, they won't make any noise. But as soon as you look at them getting hurt, they will scream <laughs> like they just died. <laughs> and I just love how everything that a kid wants to do, they want to do in front of their parents. I want to show you everything. Look at the butterfly. Look at the rock. Look at the oom. I just want to show you everything. And I want you to see me. I want you to see me the whole time. And when I hear you in another room, I want to come and see what you're doing in that room. Even if it's the bathroom, I want to come in and see what you're doing. <laughs> Always in the line of sight. And I just thought, when I read through this, this psalm, and I saw myself, with this posture of thanksgiving and celebration, just coming before God, I didn't see myself as this massive giant in the faith before God. I didn't see myself as this accomplished Christian with like the entire worth of the Bible of theology behind me, just standing there with like a shield and a sword and like standing before. No, I saw myself as a kid in front of my dad saying that everything that I have, everything that I own, everything that I will ever be, is because of you. And all that I want you to do is embrace me and see me and love me. And that is exactly it. <laughs> I want to bless you this morning by reminding you that God is your Father. He's the one that made you, and He's the one that will never leave you. And so assume a posture of a kid in front of a dad or a mom. And celebrate and be thankful in front of God. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we thank you that we can once again remind ourselves from your word of who you are, who we are, and what you do. And thank you, God, for these very short, just seven absolutes that we can grab onto and know with certainty that you are who you say you are. Thank you, Father, that we can come before you with every single raw emotion, every single doubt, and that we can just praise you, praise your name, just shout. Thank you, Father, that we know 
that you will never turn away from us, but in fact that you pursue us, that you chase us down. We love you, God, and we thank you for an awesome time this morning just around your word. And we bless your name. Everyone says, Amen. Amen.